0: Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as his people. In this episode, we will discover the genealogical and prophetic relationship of the Antichrist to the nation of Israel. Who is the Antichrist? Well, that's an interesting and complicated question. But first, let me say this. The Antichrist will be an actual person. Like Judas Iscariot. he will not become this person until Satan himself enters into him. We read in Luke chapter 22, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Issachariot, who was numbered among the twelve. The second point is, let me say that it is currently impossible to identify this person. The Bible tells us this man will not be revealed to the world until a specific point in time. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. So this teaching is not to discover the identity of the Antichrist, but rather to understand his genealogical and prophetic relationship to the nation of Israel. Now, there is much debate among Christian scholars about the end times, in theological terms, what is called eschatology. I personally hold a premillennial view of scripture, meaning that Christ has come once and is soon to return to establish his earthly millennial kingdom, his 1,000-year rule reign in Israel from Jerusalem. The alternate view suggests we are presently living in the millennial kingdom and the 1,000-year Reign is figurative, or not literal. Premillennial teachings defend from Scripture how the nation of Israel will go through a seven-year time of difficulty before Yeshua returns. This period is called the Tribulation, and the last three and a half years of this period is called the Great Tribulation. Towards the end, it becomes even more difficult for the Jewish people. The pervasive view within the church about the Antichrist is that he will most likely be a Gentile, possibly of Italian origins and a descendant of the Roman Empire. And this view comes from an interpretation of the book of Daniel that describes four kingdoms that will rule over Israel, the last being the Roman Empire. While the Roman Empire fell in 476 AD, some theologians believe this empire will be revived during the tribulation period. A less popular view is that the Antichrist will be a Gentile of Babylonian origin, a remnant of the Roman Empire that spread all the way to modern-day Iraq. And others speculate the Antichrist could be an Assyrian, namely from a reference in the book of Daniel to the King of the North, which geographically lies north of Israel. These are all exegesis, meaning interpretations of the Bible, that for me somehow miss the Jewishness of Scripture. In other words, why would the Jews be looking for a king who is a Gentile? Now, I've studied these verses and other documents and have come to a completely different conclusion that might surprise you. We need to remember that the Bible, for the most part, is presenting a narrative of God's relationship with his chosen people and nation, Israel. It's not that the Gentiles are excluded from the narrative, quite contrary, as we will discover later in this teaching. It's just that we always need to interpret Scripture from a Jewish perspective, meaning how does this narrative reveal God's dealing with Israel? Yeshua said in Matthew 24, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So Israel, therefore, is God's time clock for all human history. The other point we need to remember is that the rabbis are not ignorant of God's written word or his law. They understand the same messianic prophecies that we do, only that they are blind regarding the recognition of Yeshua as the fulfillment of these prophecies. So thus, the Jewish people are still waiting for a descendant of King David to be born as the rightful heir of his throne. Now, the church generally focuses on Jesus, the Messiah, as the anointed Son of God and the Savior of the whole world. This is true. But Jesus is also the anointed king of Israel. The following I'm going to read to you are excerpts from one of Israel's most famous rabbis, Maimonides. He said this If a king shall arise from the house of David who delves deeply in the study of Torah and observes its mitzvot like David, his ancestor, if he, by his personal excellence within the realm of Torah, will compel all of Israel to walk in the way of the Torah, and reinforce the breaches in its observance among the entire Jewish people. And if he will fight the wars of God, thus removing all the obstacles to Torah observance, in the world at large, we may with assurance consider him to be the Messiah. He goes on to say, If he succeeds in the above, builds the Bet Migdash, which is the holy temple, on its site, and gathers in the dispersed remnant of Israel, he is definitely the Messiah. At this stage, when it becomes possible to observe the Torah, which is the law of Moses, and its mitzvot, in their totality, the era of the Messiah will eventually have begun. Because the king who will arise from the seed of David will possess more wisdom than Solomon and will be a great prophet approaching Moses, our teacher, He will teach the whole of the Jewish people and instruct them in the way of God, and all nations will come to hear him. As it is said in Micah chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 2, and at the end of days it shall come to pass that the mount of the Lord's house shall be established as the top of the mountains. Maimonides then goes on to conclude. He says, The King Messiah will arise and restore the kingdom of David to its former state and original sovereignty. He will rebuild the sanctuary and gather the dispersed of Israel. All the ancient laws will be reinstituted in his days. Sacrifices will again be offered. The sabbatical and jubilee years will again be observed in accordance with the commandments sent forth in the Torah. His, the Messiah's name, will be great and fill the earth to its uttermost bounds. It will be a greater name than that of King Solomon and mightier. And lastly, he says, The nations will make peace with him, and lands will obey him by reason of his great rectitude and the wonders that will come to light by his means. Anyone that rises up against him, God will destroy and make him fall into his hand. Wow, given what we've just read, let us now explore from Scripture the eschatology of the Antichrist and see how it fits this rabbinic narrative. The book of Daniel tells us about a king of the north and a king of the south who will fight against each other for several years. It then tells us that another king will arise in the place of the king of the north. So therefore we can conclude that the king of the north is not the antichrist. If we continue reading in Daniel we see that this second king is also not the antichrist because it says he dies. We read in Daniel chapter 11 verse 20 it says there shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days, he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. Notice how it says, the glorious kingdom. Biblically, the glorious kingdom can only be a reference to Israel, that one day will be at the very heart and center of God's kingdom when Christ returns. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says, "...a land flowing with milk and honey." For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. Eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. The glorious kingdom is not a reference to Rome, America, or any Gentile nation. It is a reference to the land of Israel. We continue reading in Daniel that another unique king arises. In chapter 11, verse 21, we read, And in his place shall arise a vile person, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. This third king also comes to power in the glorious kingdom. And once again, we see this as a scriptural reference to the kingdom of God, which is Israel. So therefore, we surmise this king must be an Israelite. But we are told they, Israel, will not give the honor of royalty, meaning they will ultimately reject this king. Israel denying his royalty suggests this man is an Israelite, but not a descendant of King David. If this man were a Gentile, the Jewish people would be rejecting his governing authority, the same way the Jews rejected the control of the Roman officials that governed Israel at the time of Jesus. But here, the Jewish people are rejecting this man as their king. And that sounds a lot like what happened to Yeshua. We read in John chapter 1, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Daniel is not referring to this man as the rightful king of Israel. He is talking about a vile person. In contrast, Yeshua is beautiful and perfect, loving, compassionate, and full of truth and grace of our Heavenly Father. So this vile king must be a false messiah, one who tries to deceive the Jewish people into convincing them that he is their long-awaited messiah. I've spoken to several Orthodox rabbis about their understanding of who they believe the messiah will be. And most recognize from scripture that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, will be the rightful king of Israel and God's representative in the earth. And he must be of the lineage of King David. Otherwise, the messianic prophecies would be false. So the evidence of his messiahship is established not only by overcoming and making peace with Israel's surrounding enemies, but by him establishing universal peace with every nation. In other words, he will be a man of peace. You can also ask almost any Jewish person today this one question, assuming they believe in God. Why do you reject Jesus as the Messiah? And they will almost always give you the same answer, because Jesus never established universal peace for Israel. So the most important attribute, again, for the Jewish people that they're looking for to validate the Messiahship, besides his continual lineage from King David, is to make world peace. Correlating this man of peace, to scripture we read in Daniel chapter 11, He shall enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. Notice this man enters peaceably into the land of Israel. But concerning Israel's enemies, he will initially be a man of war against every nation that comes against the Jewish people. It also says that he will not do what his fathers or his forefathers have done, which again is a connection to the patriarchs and affirms that this man, this vile king, is an Israelite. The Old Testament gives us metaphors. We also call them shadows or types of future prophetic events. King David, historically, was one of the greatest kings of Israel. His military strength and prowess substantially enlarged the kingdom of Israel and established Jerusalem as its political capital and spiritual center. But it was David's son, Solomon, that would become the man of peace and build the temple in Jerusalem. The Hebrew name given to King Solomon, Shlomo, is derived from the Hebrew root shalom, which means peace. So notice the prophetic shadow, the man of war who expands the kingdom of Israel, reflecting King David, precedes the man of peace, reflecting King Solomon, who ultimately establishes global peace through a covenant with many nations. Some rabbis believe there will be two messiahs who will usher in the messianic era. The first one will be Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah son of Joseph from the tribe of Ephraim, and the second and final one will be Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, from the tribe of Judah. Messiah, son of Joseph, will serve as a precursor to Messiah, son of David. He will prepare the world for the coming of the final Redeemer, regathering the Jewish exiles and rebuilding the Holy Temple, the Betamigdash, in Jerusalem. But Messiah, Son of Joseph's principal task will be to war against the forces of evil that oppress Israel, specifically going to battle against Edom, the descendants of Esau. Edom is a designation for the enemies of Israel, who the progeny of Joseph will crush. We read in Obadiah chapter 1, it says, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom, and understanding from the mountains of Esau, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survival shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Could it be that Messiah, son of Joseph, will be the Antichrist? Quite possibly. Yet this false Messiah will also serve the Lord's purpose in ushering in his final judgments against Israel and her surrounding nations. And these judgments will pave the way for the ultimate progeny of King David and King Solomon, Yeshua, to inherit his throne as the rightful king of Israel and the true prince of peace. I recently taught about the coming battle of Gog and Magog. This conflict breaks out between Israel and the nations that presently surround her, many of whom are Muslim nations that are descendant of Esau. Israel will be victorious in this conflict, although not without a high cost. And yes, she will also take much plunder from these nations. But there is even more to understand about the future kingdom of the Antichrist. Many of the Orthodox rabbis have yet to recognize the modern state of Israel, or at least its governmental authority. The reason is that God created Israel and commanded her to function as a theocracy, where the priests, the sons of Aaron, would govern the people per the law of Moses. Today, Israel is a democratic parliamentary government and is incompatible with this biblical system. While the chief Rabbinate of Israel and the rabbinic courts are part of Israel's judicial system, they only have exclusive jurisdiction over marriage, divorce, and a few other civil matters. So as we just read, many rabbis believe that it will be the Messiah, son of Joseph, who will not only gather the dispersed and exiled remnant of the Jewish people, but will be the chief builder of the Messianic Temple itself. Additionally, the rabbis are uncertain about the location of the ancient Holy of Holies. So they believe that God will raise a prophet who will speak for the Lord and reestablish the third temple's precise location. Just as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. We now begin to see a complete picture of the false restoration of David's royal house and the priestly lineage of Aaron. In the end times, a false messiah, the Antichrist, and a false prophet will partner and cooperate with this great deception of God's chosen people. In the book of Revelation, there is a reference to a dragon and two beasts. One beast is believed to be the Antichrist and the second the false prophet. It says in Revelation chapter 16, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. The nations of the earth worship the dragon and the beast, and the beast has military power over all people. In Revelation 13, it says, So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And one last detail. We read in Daniel that this vile king, who I believe is the Antichrist, rules the nations from Jerusalem, which is called the Great City. It says in Revelation 11, The Great City, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So therefore Israel will have become the global center of political, economic, and spiritual power at this time. This false messiah, an Israelite from the tribe of Ephraim, and Joseph's lineage will profess to be the rightful king of Israel. He will subdue Israel's enemies and greatly expand her land, and he will rebuild the next temple in Jerusalem, putting in place a false priesthood deceived by a false prophet. The conditions were similar at the time of Jesus. An illegitimate king, King Herod, ruled over Israel alongside an equally illegitimate and perverse priesthood. In the middle of the seven year covenant, we read in Daniel chapter 11, the Antichrist will exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. At this time, the Jewish people discover the hidden identity of the Antichrist, and they will rebel against this man. In turn, the Antichrist will bring his full wrath against the Jewish people and persecute them for more than three years. Simultaneously, the Gentile nations that the Antichrist made a covenant of peace with will also turn against him and the Jewish people collectively, and the Antichrist will be killed. We read in Daniel chapter 11, it says, He, the Antichrist, shall come to his end, and no one will help him. The sages affirm this by saying, and there's emphasis that I've added here, It says the immediate results of this war of Gog and Magog that culminates in the Battle of Armageddon will be disastrous. Messiah, son of Joseph, will be killed. His death will be followed by a period of great calamities. These new tribulations shall be the final test for Israel. For three and a half years before Christ returns, the nations will once again defile the Holy Temple. In Revelation 11 it says leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months which is three and a half years. Yeshua told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 he says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its flavor how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He was affirming that if the Jewish people continued to reject their true Messiah, they and their land would be overrun by the nations. The sages also affirmed this in saying, and I quote, "...if they, Israel, will not repent, the Holy One, blessed be He, will set up a ruler over them whose decrees shall be as cruel as Haman's, thus causing Israel to repent and thereby bringing them back to the right path." Oh, how great the darkness is that is coming to the earth. Isaiah said, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. And Yeshua warned the Jewish people, saying to them in Matthew 24 For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But for the church, Yeshua has made us aware of the things that are to come. Paul said in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5, but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So let us not be troubled by current events happening in the earth. We read in Revelation 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.